Hello, and welcome back to the PC Speaking Podcast. I hope you are healthy and well, and I'm grateful that you've taken the time to listen. We are in the middle of a series on discipline titled Discipline Now, and today we're specifically talking about the discipline of petitionary prayer. Um, to give credit where credit is due, of course, I've been reading a book called The Disciplines of a Godly Man by a man named Kent R. Hughes, or R. Kent Hughes, sorry. Um, great book. Certainly encourage you to read it. There's a lot of information in the book that uh, I'm not necessarily talking about, um, but it's certainly provided a lot of inspiration for this series. We're going to start today with a passage of Scripture from Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, if you'd like to follow along. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So what is prayer, and what does it mean to pray? As believers, Christians, we are given the great privilege of access to God anytime and anywhere. And I know personally, sometimes I fail to grasp the magnitude of what that really means. Uh, we don't live under a king. Um, well, where I live, we don't live under a king anyway. Uh, maybe you do. But if we were to imagine what it might be like to live under a king, it may help us better understand what we have in prayer. And if you maybe you live in a place where you do, then you will already have a grasp of what this is like. But we've seen scenes in the Bible or in movies where a king sits on his throne and only certain people are allowed access to the king. You know, you don't just show up, knock on the door and chat with the king. It doesn't work like that. And the book of Esther gives us a great example of what that's like. King Ahasuerus, or he's also known as Xerxes, he threw a big party and he called for his wife Vashti to bring the crown and come in before his guests so he could show everyone how beautiful his wife was. And she refused to do that. And obviously Ahasuerus was not happy about that. She'd embarrassed him in front of his guests and it was basically seen as insubordinate. And he decided with his wise men that Vashti, his wife, would never come into his presence again. She'd never see him again. He would also obviously never see her again. Now, after he calms down and his anger subsides, uh, he starts to miss his wife, uh, which makes sense. But his advisors suggest that he find a replacement for her since he's already made this decree and he can't go back on it. So they gathered the beautiful young women from all of the provinces that he ruled over. And this is how he meets Esther. And they brought all these women together and they would go into the king one at a time. There was a whole process of preparation that they went through to do this. And you can read about that in the book of Esther. And I'd certainly encourage you to do that. And they would go, they would spend time with the king. And uh, after they had spent time with the king, they would be taken to where the, the king's concubines lived. And they would not be allowed access to the king again unless he specifically called for them by the name. And I'm sure some of them never saw him again. But when Esther's turn came to go into the king, the Bible tells us that the king loved her more than any of the other women 
and he made her his queen to replace Vashti. A little side note uh, on this, a little bit of trivia that's kind of interesting was that uh, the king was so happy with Esther that he gave all of his provinces a tax break. But even though Esther's now queen, she's still required to come when she's called and not allowed to approach the king without being invited. Her access to the king is still very limited and very controlled. And a man who's close to the king named Haman wants to destroy the Jews and Mordecai, who was Esther's guardian. And Esther wants to petition the king under the guidance of Mordecai to save the Jewish people. And there's a long process that she goes through to do that. She places herself in a position where the king might be able to see her. If he does and decides to allow her to come and speak to him, he extends his scepter. She comes to the king, touches the scepter, and then she's given the opportunity to speak. And even then, there's still uh, like a formal process that she goes through, and it takes it takes a while before she's actually able to present her petition to the king for the Jewish people. But eventually, she's able to speak to the king and help her people. And there's, like I say, there's way more to the story, and it's worth reading. But in that story, we can see a type and a shadow of Jesus interceding with God on our behalf. And part of the reason I tell that story is to show you that you don't just walk in and strike up a conversation with a king in his throne room. People are not given that kind of access to any monarch in any culture, at least not that I know of. Um, pretty much any leader of any country is going to be surrounded with uh, security and protection and all of that kind of stuff. You just don't walk up to someone like that and and start chatting with them. But Jesus has made a way for believers to God the Father in salvation, but also in prayer. And at the moment Jesus died on the cross, there was an earthquake and the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, removing the barrier to the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the temple, the place that only the high priest was allowed to go on the Day of Atonement each year to attend for the sins of Israel. But that veil is torn, and it's it's you know it's a very heavy, thick veil. And that's symbolic of the access Jesus has given us to God. So Jesus has given us access to the King at any time, from any place, through prayer. And I tell the story just maybe to help us better understand and grasp the magnitude of what that means for each of us in the fact that we have access to God any place at any time. In Philippians, Paul writes, by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your requests known to God. And part of prayer, part of prayer is making your requests known to God. And that, that's petition. And in a similar fashion that Esther went before the king to petition the king on behalf of the Jewish people. It's a similar thing. That's where we come to the discipline of petitionary prayer. And there are different qualities and practices that make up that discipline. And one of those is that petitionary prayer is continuous. And when Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with gratitude, make your request known to God, that's part of what he's thinking about, part of what he's talking about. The words in everything give understanding of what it means to be continuous in prayer. Because being continuous in prayer is more of an attitude of prayer than it is a time frame that we adhere to. Obviously, being continuous in prayer can't mean keeping your eyes closed and your head bowed all of the time. 
We just can't do that. We have other things we need to do. But it can mean praying about everything. Continuous prayer means that prayer is the first place we go with needs, decisions, and requests. We often tend to act um, and then ask God to make things turn out the way we think they should instead of going to Him in prayer first. And the discipline of petitionary prayer is also marked by confession. And that also goes along with what Paul says when he says, in everything. So not only do we have access to God, we are encouraged to pray about everything. We're not limited by what we can pray about and what we can take to God in prayer. When you scroll through your social media feed, um, generally people are not posting things they are ashamed of, but everyone has things they're ashamed of. That's just reality. And we would, if we disclose them at all, we would only disclose those things to people we trust very much. And prayer becomes more genuine when it includes confession. We make confession a part of our prayer life. And when we do that, it it does a few things. One is that it fosters humility when we confess sin. We have to admit that we fall short. And when we do, that humbles us. And that humility prepares us to make petition to God. If we were to petition an earthly king with a request and we didn't approach the king with humility, it probably wouldn't go very well for us. And without humility, prayers become more like giving God a to-do list than making our requests known to him. It's, it's more of like, a, hey, God, I need you to do this for me rather than making a petition and making a request. You don't approach a king with a sense of entitlement. Confession in prayer facilitates an attitude of humility. And it also reminds us that God can and does forgive sin. He has the power to do that. If we confess sin and God is faithful and just and will forgive us, it reminds us he certainly has the power to answer other requests as well. It reminds me of when Jesus healed a paralytic man and he said, is it easier to say, take up your bed and walk or your sins are forgiven? But we have to be willing to confess. But we sometimes struggle with that, even in confession to God. And the Bible tells us that God already knows our heart. He knows our thoughts. He knows our imaginations. So when we practice confession, it's not like we're enlightening God to anything he doesn't already know. Confession is really more for us than it is for him. It puts us in the right place, a place of humility when we confess sin to God. And when you come to God, in prayer with an attitude of repentance and confession and reverence, you can rest assured that God hears you. God hears penitent believers. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, the Bible says, Pray in the Spirit always with all kinds of prayer and supplication. To that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We said that the discipline of petitionary prayer is continuous, It involves confession, and it also involves perseverance. And perseverance is different than being continuous. There are many stories in the Bible where God works out his will in ways that might seem hard to understand for us, or he does so over a long period of time, at least in the way we view time. It's not really, time isn't something that's necessarily relevant to God like it is to us. And there are many stories where the time involved and the conditions involved seem very uh, strange 
or difficult to understand. In the book of Exodus, in uh, Exodus chapter scene, uh, 17, sorry, the Israelites are in a battle with the Amalekites. As long as Moses holds up his arms, the Israelites have the upper hand in battle. But when Moses drops his arms, the Amalekites get the upper hand. And then this goes on all day. And have you ever tried to hold your arms up for a long time? It's, it's not long before it becomes very difficult to do that. And in this case, Aaron and her, they come along and they help Moses hold his arms up and the Israelites eventually win the battle that day. But there's also the parable of the unjust judge in the New Testament who grants a widow justice. Um, and she basically wears the judge down through perseverance. And Jesus says, if this unjust judge will see that justice is done, then God will surely see to it that justice is done. And he says that to encourage perseverance. Those Bible stories can seem a little strange to us, but nonetheless, God expects us to persevere, not just in empty repetition and repeating things, but there's spiritual merit to perseverance in prayer, um, taking request to God and petitioning God repeatedly for things that concern us. Now, why do you think that is? That I pose that question. Well, as a possibility, here's my thoughts. Do we really care about something if we don't persevere in praying for it? If we just kind of pray for it once and forget about it, is it really that important to us? Does it really matter? If as a man, you know, we don't continually pray for our family or our wives or for our community, for our church. How much do we really care? Um, if you're starving and you're seeking food or you're thirsty and you're seeking water, how long would you persevere in seeking those things? Well, you would persevere for as long as it takes. And that's perseverance in prayer. We persevere for as long as it takes God to answer. And perseverance also gives us clarity as to what's important. You know, if we're not willing to persevere, well, maybe it's not really that important. And the second part of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 says, to that end, be alert with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. The discipline of petitionary prayer requires confession. Uh, it requires being continuous in prayer, perseverance, and also intercession. And that means interceding with God on the behalf of others. Without intercession for others, prayer becomes selfish. It becomes self-absorbed. And when we become selfish and self-absorbed, we inevitably become miserable. Sacrificing time to focus our mind and prayers on the needs of others is a very helpful thing to do for others, and it's also helpful for ourselves. You remember how we define discipline, you know, in a way that we can uh, practically action it, and we define it as sacrificing right now for the benefit of ourselves and others later. And that brings us to the petition part of petitionary prayer. And these are just some practical things that will hopefully help you in your prayer life. A petition is a formal written request, and that request is submitted to proper authorities for their attention. Maybe you've signed a petition and, and gone through something like that. 
But petitionary prayer is like presenting a formal request to God. Informal means something that is officially recognized. And prayer is the recognized way that we make our request known to God. And a petition is usually written. Now, does our petition have to be written? No, it does not. But it probably should be written down and organized. Have you ever spent time in prayer and find that your mind has you know, wandered off somewhere else? If you've ever prayed, that's probably happened to you. Now, if you were going to bring a petition before a king, you would put together an or, a well-organized and well-written petition. You probably wouldn't just walk in, ramble on for a bit, and then hope for the best. When you pray, you, you can do that. But a petition or a prayer list is something that will improve your prayer life, even if it's just so you don't forget things and helps bring your mind back to where it should be when it wanders off. And I, I really encourage everyone to have a prayer list. And I've tried a few different ways of managing that myself. I've had a notebook and I've, I've had an app. And you could have something like an Excel checklist maybe. And I found that a notebook doesn't work for me. It's too hard to add things or put things in different places. And once you run out of room, it's difficult to shift things around. But I have found that an app works well for me. I like one that I can have on my desktop of my uh, computer just because it's easier to type there. But other people maybe you just find with one on their phone or whatever. But your list, uh, of course, it should have the names of your family members on it with their prayer requests. Personally, there are a lot of people on my list, so I've divided my list into days of the week. I pray for different people each day of the week, and uh, there's specific people on my list each day. And then I have other headings with things that are everyday things like church stuff and special requests that people have given me. And sometimes I'll move uh, people with pressing needs onto an everyday list, just depending on what's going on in their life and what they share with me. But uh, the point is make a list and make it work for you. And then work your way through your list. Bring your petition to God. You can start small. It doesn't have to be dramatic. Just start. And once you have your petition, remember, you wouldn't just walk into the throne room of a king and say, hey, what's up? You would make an appointment. And we can go to the Lord in prayer anytime. We've been given access to God. We can pray to him anytime we feel like it. But sometimes with that kind of availability, anytime can become never. And People often feel as though something is wrong with them if they just don't automatically have a great prayer habit or a great prayer life. And I'll tell you, nothing is wrong with you if you don't just automatically have a prayer habit. It takes discipline. The great majority of people need to work at that, and it's something that takes time. And we work at that by making an appointment. We make the time to pray. It's easy to make an appointment, but often more difficult to keep it. Now, the best way I've found to do that, and I talk to other people who found this helpful as well, is to put your prayer time in your day planner as an appointment, just like you would anything else. If you had an appointment with the doctor, you would put it in your calendar, and when that appointment came, you would keep it. Do the same with prayer. Give your prayer appointment at least the same priority you would any other important appointment on your calendar. Another thing people say is a problem is time. 
I just don't have time. You know, if I spend time doing that, something else won't get done and just time gets away and it happens. And remember, time is not relevant to God like it is to you and me. It's kind of like loaves and fishes. God can and will multiply and divide and work and move and do things in ways that you and I won't fully see or understand. Taking the time to pray is kind of like being generous with your resources. When you give God your first and best, he takes care of the rest. If you're generous towards God with what you have, you will always have what you need. It's really that simple. And the same is true when scheduling time for prayer. If you give God your best time, you will always have time for what you need. And I've often found that when I, you know, I'm disciplined in my prayer life and I stick to my list and my time, my days are actually much easier and much less stressful and much less rushed. And God just works through time throughout the day. But to have the time you need, first you need to trust God and give him your best first, and he'll make it work. And we should also think about, well, okay, what is my best time? When are you most alert? For some people, that's early in the morning, but that's not necessarily true for everyone. Once you have your time, you also need a place. Where are you going to pray? Where are you going to meet with God to present your petition? And you can choose whatever place you like. You just need to choose it. Maybe your table at home, maybe your kitchen table, maybe parked somewhere in your car, whatever you need to provide you with the least amount of distraction is what you need to do. And another question that comes up sometime is um, how long should I pray? How much time should I spend in prayer? I'd say as long as you need to. Uh, Length isn't that important. I mean, it is, but it isn't. You know, I've heard of great saints who spend hours in intense prayer, and I can't do that, so I don't. Uh, You can sometimes say more in a few sentences than you can in a few paragraphs, but however you decide to go about it, it requires that you discipline yourself. Discipline now. You know, when you're starting to think, oh, I don't know if I can get to that this morning, discipline now and do it. Sacrifice now for the benefit of yourself and others later. Because as a Christian, prayer, prayer is not a hobby. It's, it's not optional. It's not something we do when we don't have anything else to do. So decide to sacrifice and make a commitment. But at the same time, don't try to commit yourself to something you'll never actually do. It's easy sometimes to start something and say, okay, I'm going to you know, get up at 4 a.m. and I'm going to pray for three hours every day. And that's probably not going to happen. So Try to commit to something that you'll actually do. And in time, you can build on that. But it's not easy to do that. It requires discipline. Part of you wants to do it. Another part of you doesn't want to do it. Part of you knows you should. And another part of you will make rational excuses as to why you don't. And that's where you say, discipline now. When you start making excuses, oh, I can't do it because of this. Discipline now. Do it now. Do it anyway. That's discipline. And I have one last thought for you. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately because it's it's just been on my mind a lot. How many things in your life, in the world, in your community, wherever you live, how many things would you like to see change? How many things in the world are frustrating for you? How many 
problems in the world would you like to see fixed? How many people do you know who you wish they knew Jesus? How many things in the world frustrate you? Now, out of all those frustrating things and changes you would like to see, how much time have you spent praying about those things? And for most people, the answer is not much, if at all. And the reality is that if we spend as much time in prayer as we do wringing our hands and complaining, the world would be a different place. The world would be a different place. You know, and sometimes we say that. We see something going on and, oh, the world's, you know, going to hell in a handbasket or whatever. And we say, I can't do anything about it. That's a lie we tell ourselves because you can do something about it. You can pray. When you see a problem or something frustrates you, what is the first thing you do? Is prayer your first port of call? Are you continuous in prayer? Do you persevere? Is it the first place you go with frustration and worries? Do you confess sin and approach God with humility? Or, you know, do you just tell him what needs to be fixed to make you feel better? What about perseverance? Do you really care about something if you don't persevere in prayer, if you don't put it down in your list and you don't pray about it daily? Is it really that important? What about prayer for other believers? Prayer for your enemies? Prayer for those who are in authority? Do you intercede from them? Those are all things the Bible tells us to, to pray about. You can sacrifice now and approach God through discipline, the discipline of petitionary prayer, and God will hear you. He may not, you know, he may not answer the way you want, but he will always answer with what is best. Again, thanks for taking the time to listen. If you find this helpful, please share it with someone, follow the podcast. Um, yeah, whatever works for you. But I do appreciate you listening, and I'll look forward to speaking to you again soon. Enjoy the rest of your day.